I, I gotta tell you, Sunday has gotta be the most amusing day of the year for the kingdom of God, you know? I mean, God has to be up there just, do, do you think God laughs or weeps? I don't know. I think of these gatherings that we have, you know, we get together and, and, and it's, so, it's so central to us and oh my gosh, it could just be so bad. <laughs> just so bad and yet, yet it strikes at the core of who we are, the core of our relationship with God, the way that we express ourselves to him, the way we try to tell him that we love him right and receive kind of that, that, that grace and love that he's giving worship, it's, it's, it's <laughs> for all the stuff that we do and see. It is so important, isn't it? So much a part of who we are with God. I wanna share with you a story. We looked at it last week where Jesus is talking about this, this crazy, weird, butchered, beautiful thing that we do called worship. And it comes out of that same story where Jesus meets that woman at that well. He's traveling and it's hot. And he stops at this well in the wrong side of the town. And there's a Samaritan woman who's the wrong kind of person who's there. And Jesus does what Jesus does best. He, he, he sees her as a human being and he treats her like a human being and he loves her like someone who's a child of God. And he has a conversation with her when other people won't. And, and he's, he's seen with her in public when other people would hide or kind of avoid or ignore and he asks her for things when other people would think they're above it and he opens into dialogue with her in an honest conversation, not just kind of a polite pleasantry. And in the middle of this, there's, there's this weird turn of events in the conversation where it actually turns to worship. And I wanna read it again. This is from John chapter four, just listen. This woman says to Jesus, I can see that you were a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, Gerizim, where they happened to be. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Here's what Jesus answers. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You know, you Samaritans, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So the woman said, I know that Messiah, you know, Christ, I know that he's coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. To which Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Here's that line. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Do you know what I love about Jesus? I love that he has a way of saying things simply and concretely. But do you know what drives me nuts about Jesus? Is that he can say things simply and concretely, and I sometimes still have no idea what he means. 
I know what a spirit is. I know what the spirit is. I know what truth is. I know how Jesus talks about truth. But what does this mean? Worship me in spirit and truth. What are you getting at here, Jesus? And it seems that it's pretty important because worship is pretty important. And it seems that there is a right way of doing it. And I would say by default, then a wrong way. It seems that we can mess this up. It seems that we can go through the motions or do this thing or engage in this thing that we think is worship and fundamentally get it wrong. And all the while maybe even deceive ourselves because it feels so good or looks so great. But all the while missing the heart of what God actually Wands. Here at Fellowship of Faith, we want to be followers of Jesus because we think that being followers of Jesus makes us followers of God. We think that by being followers of Jesus, we see the nature of who God is and what he wants and what he's like and what it means to have interaction and relationship with him. And we start to discover that that God has a certain way that he wants us to be doing it, not a rigid way, but that there still is a right path and a wrong path, something that brings praise and honor and glory to him and things that do not, and Jesus seems to allude to it here, what I want to unpack today and explore today is this amazing, weird, hard, confusing, often inspiring and often embarrassing thing that we call worship. And maybe, hopefully, just maybe by the end of some time, circling the wagons a little bit around this phrase, becoming better worshipers ourselves, becoming people in deeper relationship with God, with more open communication. And so I'd like to jump into some of this with you. And as I was thinking about this phrase and talking to the staff and having some conversations, noticing certain kind of questions that were starting to come up, certain kinds of insights that started to Percolate, and I'd like to share these with you, just some observations, I think, on what Jesus is getting at when he talks about being worshipers in spirit and in truth. And I think we've got to start here. That when he talks about worshiping in spirit and truth, what Jesus is talking about is the same thing by two words. It's not as though he's saying, okay, worship me, figure out the spirit side, and now figure out the truth side. He's using the same two words, or he's using two different words to refer to the same thing. You do this all the time. You know how it goes. We talk about maybe ways and means. We're talking about the same thing. You talk about lock, stock, and barrel. You're kind of talking about the same thing right? You talk about a last will and testament. You're kind of talking about the same thing. You talk about guns and roses. You're talking about the same thing, right? We're not going to listen to a band about guns and then a band about roses, right? We're referring to the same thing by both these words. I think that Jesus is referring to the same thing by both these words. Yes, there is a distinction between spirit and truth, but when he says worship in spirit in truth, he's talking worship in this way. And I'm going to save you the steps on how I'm getting here today. 
But what I think Jesus is fundamentally getting at when he says worship in spirit, in truth, is he's saying worship me. Jesus is saying worship me. Worship as a result of me. Worship through me. Worship in me. Worship as a byproduct of what I am doing in your life. For Jesus to worship in spirit, in truth, is fundamentally to worship, grounded, rooted, and in him. To bring praise to Christ, and dare I say Christ alone. Because when we bring our praise and worship to Christ, it echoes to the Father in heaven. See, a lot of the Gospel of John and a lot of what Jesus is talking about in this amazing book is how he makes us alive in the Spirit. That we, without God's Spirit, are fundamentally dead. Oh no, we may be walking around. We may be animated. We have thoughts and feelings and emotions and a will. But spiritually, it's like we're as good as dead. It's like without the Holy Spirit in our life, we are zombies. Spiritual zombies in the kingdom of God. But what God's spirit does is he comes and he brings us to some kind of new life that when we're dead in our sins, he resurrects us. And it's only by his power and comes from him and Jesus comes and offers this new life found in the Spirit. John 3 will call it being born again or being born from above. It's all saying the same thing. Being born of the Spirit. It's some kind of life transformation that happens that's so radical that it can really only be described as a new kind of life. Hence, being reborn. And Jesus comes and offers this new kind of life and says, all who believe in me will begin to have this new kind of life. And so when Jesus talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth, he's saying come and worship as a response to the life I am giving you. Not the breath you breathe, but the Holy Spirit doing something in you, Jesus says, I come that they may have life and have it to the full. And worship is what we do in response to that. It's showing God the gratitude and the praise and the honor and the love and the glory that comes from being someone who has been saved and rescued and redeemed and transformed by him. The worshipers the Father seeks are those who worship in spirit and truth. Jesus is saying the worshipers the Father seeks are those who come and find new life in me. We can sing all the songs in the world that we want and say all the prayers that have ever been written. But if we are not alive in the spirit of God, it's just empty words and melodies evaporating on the air. I think there's more to this phrase, though, and I want to give you the second observation. That when we worship, it's bigger than your sacred mountain. 
Now let me rewind to the story a little bit. Jesus meets this woman at the well. And the conversation is awkward because she knows that a guy like him, it's off that he's there speaking to her. And yet Jesus isn't treating her like all the other men that, that have hurt her or ruined her in her life. And Jesus being more polite than honest, or more honest than polite, I should say, isn't afraid to go there with her. Let me set it up. Jesus offers her this living water that will give her new life. And she says, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to the well. And he says, go call your husband and come back. To which she says, I have no husband. To which Jesus says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you are with now is not your husband either. What you have said is most certainly true. To which the woman says, let's change the subject. I see, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain and you say we should worship over there. Let's talk about something more pleasant. People have been doing this in conversations and counseling since it's existed. Go somewhere uncomfortable. Go somewhere too on the nose. Go somewhere too honest. Let's divert to something else. But don't miss what the woman might be doing in this conversation as well. She changes the subject. Let's talk about this. You say we need to worship on that mountain. You say we need to worship here. But you know, at the end of the day, who knows? At the end of the day, who knows? I heard that the one Messiah is going to come and explain it all to us. And maybe, just maybe, if we can throw up our hands and say who knows about which mountain we should worship on, maybe we should say that about all morality as well. About my five husbands. About the man I'm with now. Maybe it's none of your business, Jesus. Maybe we should just not let you be judging me here today and wait till the guy who's called the Christ gets on the scene and hand it over to him. See what she's doing there? It's pretty good, isn't it? But Jesus isn't afraid to meet her in that place because Jesus will let you change the subject even if he won't let you off the hook. And so he starts to talk about how, yes, it's true that Jews worship on this mountain and Samaritans worship on that. But the time is coming and has now come when those conversations will be deemed irrelevant. Let me apply it to worship today. I find that often when the subjects that really matter start to get too close to home in the church today, we who gather in rooms like this also change the subject. We look for other things to talk about, other things to gripe about, and other things to focus on. Over the course of my ministry, I cannot tell you how many people I have talked to in this church and in other churches, how many pastors I've conversed with, and how many congregations get wrapped up in questions of the style of worship. It's diversionary. And at some level, completely irrelevant. Rather than talk about what God is doing in your life, 
rather than talk about the call of repentance he has on you, let's make the issue about other things. Do I like the song? Do I like the musician? Do I like the volume? Do I like the style? Do I like the show? You know, people have been doing Jesus shows from the very beginning. I think back to what I call our ancients, who would try to emulate the throne room of God. God is pictured in the Bible as this blinding light, filled with color like sapphire and ruby. They'll describe rainbows filling the throne room of God, and the ancients would try to manipulate the sun into light. They would build these, these facades or these windows filled with multicolored glass trying to catch the light to give us just a taste and a sense of what heaven is like. I think of the throne room of God where it talks about roars of thunder, the sound of rushing waters, the voices that are deafening. They would build these pipe organs with stacks going 50 feet high that would rumble the plaster and shake the soul trying to emulate the power of God. They would blow incense and fill the rooms with smoke to try to give us a taste of what it's like to look through that cloud that the people of Israel saw once long ago. And today we might do it with hazers and electronic lighting and drums and guitars instead. There are others who have always preferred to fast from these worship practices and choose a more ascetic way of connecting with God, using nothing but their voices alone or stripping it all away except for maybe a keyboard or acoustic guitar. And there have been those who prefer to read the worship scripts together and they print them in bulletins and they recite them together almost like someone reading Shakespeare rather than going to one of his plays or analyzing a movie script together instead of watching it. And people have connected with God in all these ways. But to make worship about these kinds of questions is to fundamentally miss the point. Because at the end of the day, the things that we make so primary to God are ultimately irrelevant. God makes a claim on every single human life. And with Jesus, that claim cannot be avoided. And to switch the conversation to which sacred mountain does it best automatically reveals that we're off the tracks. No. Worship is something deeper and bigger than the small-minded questions that we often occupy ourselves with that deal more with preference on a Sunday morning. Which leads me to this. Worship is not the show. It's so easy to talk about what we do here on Sunday morning as worship. And maybe it is but I find that it really depends. 
It's very easy to mistake what we do in worship for this thing Jesus is calling worship itself. You know what I mean? Sometimes we think that to worship in spirit in truth means to feel something, to sense something, to experience something, and we have had powerful moments with God like that, haven't we? Thanks be to God, it's those gifts he gives us when we do get to feel it heart and soul that often tether us and draw us to him. But it can be so easy to make that a substitute for what true and real worship actually is. No, worship is not the show and Jesus is not the show. It's not the lights and the sound or the prayers. It's a heart crying out to God. It's a heart giving themselves to him, regardless of what's happening around you and before you. Do you know how you know when you're really worshiping? When you don't like the song or the style. And instead of just sitting there or grumbling, you force yourself to raise your hand even though you don't want to. You force yourself to close your eyes and concentrate and pray. You force yourself to sing the words because what you're doing is saying, God, I love you. God, I honor you. It's not about how I feel. I have witnessed people attend the most amazing worship shows ever and not worship at all. And I have witnessed people endure the most God-awful worship shows that humanity can devise and worship in spirit and truth. You can tend all the rock concerts and organ recitals in the world and not worship God. And you can live in a prison cell cut off from all of it in worship heart and soul. Because Jesus is Jesus. Jesus is not the show. Guard yourself, never reduce him to show. Make him a show. Turn him into a show or expect him to entertain you in a show. No, Jesus is inviting you to worship him. Now, I've been a Christian most of my life. I've worshiped in all kinds of different churches with all different kinds of styles and all different kinds of ways. And I can tell you that I have had powerful moments with God in all of them. But I can tell you this too. It doesn't always come easy. Sometimes I think when we talk about worship in spirit, we think that it just spontaneously comes, almost like a dancer who just magically knows what to do when they're on the floor, or a musician who, notice, who, who just magically knows how to improv when the chance is gone, not realizing there are years and years of practice that have led them to that place. And within that, what I find is worship becomes instinctual. It's both active and passive. It's something that is both learned and then ingested until it becomes a part of you. 
Don't be surprised if it doesn't always come easy at first. Don't be surprised if you need to work on your technique. It's not to box you in, but it's to help you do it better. Like a musician running scales or a dancer perfecting moves. C.S. Lewis has this amazing line about worship that I'd like to share with you. He says it's like dancing. It works best when you don't have to think about it. And as long as you notice and have to count the steps, you're not really dancing yet, right? But only learning to dance. And the reality is some of you here are new. And you're still learning to dance. The reality is some of you have been following Jesus for years, but you've been going to the show more than worshiping. And so you really haven't learned how to dance. And some of you maybe just aren't good at it. And you're still learning to dance there too. And I'm here to tell you that that's okay. Jesus wants you to learn how to dance. We do this over and over and over again, precisely so that it can become a part of you. Precisely so that you don't have to be thinking about step one, step two, step three, step four. Did that, was that something legit? I don't know. <laughs> but so that you can go from there, but sometimes in the process you need to. Because I'll tell you this, Jesus wants to dance with you. And from what I know, he's a really good dancer. He wants to dance with you. He wants to dance with those of you who are two left feet. He wants to dance with those of you who cannot carry a rhythm to save your life. He wants to dance with those of you who make those worship fails look like it was the throne room of God. He wants to dance with those of you who can't sing. He wants to dance with those of you who can't even speak. Jesus wants to dance with you. And if you let him lead, he'll teach you. He'll show you. But I'll tell you who turns Jesus off on the dance floor. It's the people who are out there busting their moves in all their glory making it all about them. There are some of you here who have the most beautiful voices. When you sing, it melts glass. But if it isn't about him, he's probably gonna look to dance with someone else. There are some of you here who are so afraid to open your mouths because you know full well the quality of that sound. And it's embarrassing to you. Throw yourself on the floor and give yourself to him. It's what it means to dance in spirit and truth. And finally, I'll leave you with this. That worship is like a kiss. Here at Fellowship of Faith, we have all kinds of guiding statements. You can call them value statements, if you will. Not just for the church as a whole, but even for particular ministries. 
And there's this one that we use that guides our way of approaching worship as we think of it and do it together. Let me share it with you. It says this. Worship is a moment of embrace between God and his lover. Sometimes it's intense and passionate. Sometimes it's conversational. Other times it's playful. It should never be perfunctory or by the book. It should not be forced or manipulated. It's wonderful to anticipate and delightful when it's surprising. It both gives and receives. It expresses and generates love. It is an alluring, seductive moment that yearns for a consummation soon to come. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants you. Hear me. Jesus aches for you and yearns for you and hungers for you. Like a man yearning for his wedding night. Jesus is leaning in. His eyes are closed. His lips are puckered. And he wants you to respond. You getting all kind of, you, like, like at, at this point? We have no problem talking about God as our father and Jesus as our brother. It is a metaphor the Bible uses a lot. But Jesus as our lover is one that makes us uncomfortable. Make no mistake, when we worship, we are expressing something of intimacy and passion between the one who wants us more than we can ever know and ourselves. And Jesus is coming soon. That's what he says. And in the meantime, we wait. We wait and we ache and yearn for what it'll be like to be one with him and the ultimate worship experience of heaven. But I tell you this, Jesus ain't against a little foreplay. And that's what we do on Sunday mornings. So lean in and meet him in that place. And maybe, just maybe, you will start to tap the wonders and vision of what it means to worship him in spirit and truth. We're going to worship more today. Correction. Correction. We are going to set a stage. We are going to do more of a show. And in that place, we hope that you choose to respond to him. As I'm getting off stage and the band is coming up, there's a video clip I want to show you that I think captures this. <laughs> 